So she's going to share with So would you smile at her like you like her? Okay. And uh, Meg's going to share with her a few minutes. Well, whether or not you like me or even know me for that matter, um, you've probably prayed for me. And for that, I am so um, just grateful. I'm going to start with something not exactly related to what I wrote today. Um, Thursday night, I lost a friend to pancreatic cancer, and her and I have journeyed along this um, ugly word called cancer for four years, and she was a month shy of four years. But on that same night this past week, she also lost her grandma. So her mother lost a daughter and her mom all in the same evening. Her name is Sarah. Um, mom is Gail and her sister Adrian. If you would just put the Brumley family in your prayers, I just... I can't imagine what they're going through, and I am so thankful to still be here and be able to share my story, but she was a huge blessing to so many. She started a scholarship and did some awesome things with Integris that um, most people wouldn't be able to do during their cancer fight. So um, I come with a heavy heart, but I am also so very blessed, and so it's a, it's a mixed balance. You might see me cry. Don't worry. It's normal. <laughs> um, so on the board up here, and I realized as I walked to the back of the room, I write very small. Um, on the left-hand side is the words for uh, Torn Wells' song, Hills and Valleys. I walked among the shadows, you wiped away my tears, and I have felt the pain of heartbreak, and I have seen brighter days. I have prayed prayers to heaven from my lowest place, and I have held the blessings, God, you give and take away. And that song means a lot to me, especially under today's circumstances. But back to the good news. Today, four years ago, was my brain surgery. An eight-hour surgery that was later diagnosed as stage three brain cancer. So on this side of the board, March 2015, November 2016 was my reoccurrence at 20 months. In between then, I had 33 rounds of proton radiation. It still came back. It didn't get the memo. Go away. <laughs> May 2017, I ended up having surgery. So I moved from a golf ball-sized tumor here to brain cancer um, off of the brain stem. And in 2018, in December, just not that long ago, um, I had no new tumors. My PET scan is in April, along with another MRI. If that shows nothing, I am NED, no evidence of disease. So I asked... <laughs> I, I ask strongly for your prayers because I have some anxiety about going through this. Um, I have not had a PET scan. Um, I know someone who has lit up like a Christmas tree is a wonderful expression for cancer everywhere in the body and is nine quarters clear. Um, and it is, it is possible, but it is um, not the journey I hope God sends me on. Um, if you remember Marty's sermon about what God put in your hands or what God's given you, that's where a lot of my journey started in terms of, okay, God, what can I do? What can I share? How can my life affect other people? If you don't know, I'm a preacher's kid, which is not always a good thing. <laughs> I've, I've had my shares of not wanting to be a preacher's kid. 
And, and in that, my parents have had some good chuckles because um, God has used my cancer story to complete and total strangers in random situations where afterwards I'm crying and laughing and going, okay, God, I got the memo. So one of them, if you've heard my story, was in Target. And in Target, a woman was um, wondering where I got my joy, wondering where my something... I had, she wanted, and this was after the sermon, and uh, I was, you know, kind of in a, uh, okay moment, you know, total stranger in the target line, the cashier's observing all this, I just let God take over, because there's no way I could have done it without him, and she was going through cancer, she was going through a nasty marriage situation with an, um, an affair, she had just been diagnosed with another cancer, a basal cell carcinoma, and she wanted to know what I had that she didn't. You don't ever think about the fact that your trials and tribulations, those hills and valleys, show on the outward side People will look at me some days and go, are you okay? Are you something wrong? But apparently that day, God gave me something that shone, that was a bright light outside of myself that I wasn't aware of, wasn't paying attention to. I just knew that God, I, I say played a joke on me because <laughs> cancer was not something I thought he put in my hands to be a message of courage and a message of hope and peace to other people. So... Um, I'm totally off my notes. There was a whole idea of a PowerPoint presentation that, that went away. I, I, I can't, I'm not, I don't have the skills. Um, but the Timothy Keller devotional is what I've been reading and um, of late. And one of the messages that relates to the song here, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rest content, untouched by trouble. Resting in God, those who fear God find God satisfying and they are contented. The second phrase literally says that they spend the night content, meaning that God is like haven from the storm, a storm tossed. How is it possible to live life untouched by trouble? Well, clearly I'm standing here and I'm not untouched by trouble, but I have come through it. I, I am no longer in a valley. This does not say that we will, have, we will not have trouble, only that will not overthrow our contentment. Trouble can take anything away from you except God. Therefore, if God to you is greater safety, a deeper security, and a more powerful hope than anything else in the world, you fear no trouble. Depending on God in trouble is a spiritual skill that can be learned only in trouble. Difficulties take away earthly comforts. And then through prayer and reflection on the word, we are driven closer to God to get his unique consolations. There's much more to this text, but that's my unique consolation. And I am so very grateful for this class and the people that showed up. Rick is back there, um, was praying for me, was at the hospital. Linda Bollenbacher and Danita McCorkle and their spouses showed up in the ER. That's what the faith, hope, and love of this church is to me. Thank you.
so much. You are such a blessing to me. And I pray that we continue to be a blessing to those not just going through cancer, but all the joys and trials in everyone's life. Because this class, this church family, it, you can't replace it for the journey I've been through. Thank you. So April is the date. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, pray, okay, together. We're going to pray for her. And I'm going to ask you that, if you would, uh, allow the Spirit of God to sort of use you over the next several weeks uh, as he brings it to your mind, as he nudges you to pray uh, as we think about this. And uh, so we're going to pray for you, Meg. Is that all right? Uh, Jesus, here we stand with a testimony not only of increased health, but increased faith. Not only of strengthened will, but a strengthened commitment. We know that what Meg and Laramie have gone through is not easy. And uh, we know that their, their trust in one another, Meg's trust in you, has been the stabilizing factor. And so we come to you now as a class as we continue to pray for her, but specifically, Father, you told us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we're letting it be known to you. We're asking for a good report in April. We're not commanding, we're not declaring, we're not instructing you. We're asking you as children And so we come before you as this collective body of believers in real life and lift Meg up to you. We know in some ways we don't have to do that because she's already lifted herself up to you. She's in your hands. But we as a collective body begin the process of praying here for this specific need in April and ask that this would occur, not just so Meg would feel better, not just so she would be well, but that you would be glorified that the governance of God, the kingdom of God would make itself known in the earth. We pray this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. Do you know the date? Yes. Um, Calendar. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, April 17th. 17th. Tax day. I think it's an expensive day. For it's me. an expensive day. <clears throat> I think it is. <clears throat> I think it is. And if you were wondering what this is, this is the uh, floral anatomy of the brain. It is a piece of art that was gifted to me, mm. um, and it just shows how, in in my mind, um, that things can grow out of tragic mm. and trial. Yeah. So. Thank you. All right. After that, thanks a lot. <laughs> to have to now teach. Uh, I gave you less time, too. I know. That's all right. Thanks. <laughs> well, <clears throat> this was a big week. Meg got a hold of me a couple weeks ago and said, you know, this was the week that all of this began. And you guys have been praying. We've been lifting her up. I know through the week, uh, as you get the email on the uh, prayer team that, um, you know, this is somebody we're praying about. We want to keep this in front of us. So 
anywhere glad to, to do. Thank you, Meg. I know she spent a lot of time thinking about that. She wanted to help us here. Well, <clears throat> this is a great idea then right here. Okay, now what? <laughs> now what? Um, I'm going to make a little bit of adjustment here for a moment uh, because I just want to relate to, to this idea that a couple, few weeks ago, uh, Terry, uh, I was going to be out of town and uh, we were going to go to Garden City, but God, God sent a blizzard. I, I don't know why that happened, but uh, <clears throat> uh, God sent a blizzard and I didn't get to have to go. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> so he talked about the, the names of God, <clears throat> the names of God all through the Bible. And I want you to turn to your Bibles, go to your table of contents and, and, or go to the middle if you want to cheat and find the book of Psalms, uh, <clears throat> that this whole uh, thing, in my judgment, <clears throat> is why it's important that uh, with the idea of, of uh, Jesus Christ coming a man, of the incarnation, we've been discussing that since Christmas. Um, if he came as Jesus Christ revealed himself in this way, now what? What about that? And then Terry helped us uh, with the idea of all these different names that are throughout Scripture, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, uh, all, all of the, the, the different uh, Jehovah, Jehovah derivative, Jehovah Jireh, Tiskindu, Nisi, all of those different ones. Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, uh, Abba, Father, Paraclete, uh, Theos, all, the, all those terms. That's important, I think, for us to at least say, well, now what about that? And uh, I want you to look there in Psalm chapter 9, uh, this has been a, a passage that has sort of been a, a go-to uh, for me all the time. And it's, and it's a great psalm, the whole one, but I'm going to kind of jump in here uh, at Psalm 9.9. This might be helpful for you to remember this. This is such an important verse. It, it might be helpful to say, okay, 9.9, I can remember that. Psalm 9.9, it says, The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your, what does it say there? Name. What do they do? They trust in you. Those who know your name do what? Trust. Now, now, you know this, but let me just remind you. You know, I love the book of Second Peter because Peter says, "I'm going to remind you." It isn't that he's have to inform them, but I think many of you know that in the ancient world, uh, we have lots of evidence of this in the Bible. That in the ancient world, names denote character. Names denote character. Uh, you don't just name somebody a name. You think about who they are going to be, what their destiny is, and who they are. Uh, what happens when a guy named Abram gets the promise that he's going to be the father of many nations? What happens to him? Huh? Change his name to what? Abraham, right? Yeah. What happens to a guy named Jacob when he wrestles with God and he prevails, and then his name becomes Israel, right? Here's the thing. In the Old Testament or the Bible or in the ancient Near East where the Bible or where, where the Jews uh, are part of that, this is not just Jewish. This is in the ancient Near East. Often you'll read in books A-N-E when it's referring to the kind of cultural background or understanding where the Bible comes out of. In the ancient Near East, name denotes character. So if we read it that way, look at it this way. And those who know your character, what? Put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's why it's so important what A.W. Tozer said, and I think he's right on. He didn't, say, he didn't do that. Those are brands. We missed that. <clears throat> what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, Meg is going through a journey here, and, you know, there are people 
that have a view or a notion of God that when you get sick or something happens, what did you do? Right? I mean, okay. I mean, let's be, let's be clear. I mean, a lot of us have as much karma in our theology as we have Christ. <laughs> right? I mean, we've got a lot of karma in our theology. We think good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. You know, I, we've had this question before arisen. You know, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things... <laughs> I'm going to have one of those MRI brain scans this week. Why do bad things happen to good people? C.S. Lewis said it another way. I think he's even better. Why do good things happen to bad people? Yeah. You know, we say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, why do good things happen to bad people? It's life, right? We, we got all this muddled up with karma instead of Christ. And so we, we have this default often that makes us think more like a pagan when things begin to happen than a Christian. That, that we've just in not been, been indoctrinated or somehow this idea. And the writer of the Bible says here that if you know his name, you will trust him. Trust is not automatic unless you know the character of the person you're trusting. We don't just say trust God. Why? Because I know his character. I'm learning it. I'm, dis I'm discovering it. I'm, 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 I'm giving myself to this endeavor. And that's what we've tried to do. And so in our little bit of a study here, we've said, here's the thing uh, that we, you know, how do we get our brand of God? And I used last week the idea of branding cattle and, and uh, made some very unkind remarks about Kansas, and, uh, which I will not retract. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's right. Those are not fences in, in Kansas. There's a little bitty things of barbed wire four, nine inches off the ground. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, but I think it, it, it sort of has a double, it sort of has a double meaning of it. What, what, you know, how do we get our brand of God? And, and I said, and we're not going to go over this, uh, you know how we got it. Oop, back up, Cliff. Here we go. How we got our brand of God. Remember this? If you were here last week, we got our brand of God through significant relationships early in life. That's where our view of reality got formed through significant relationships early in life. And I said to you, there's a way, if you're interested in this, <clears throat> if you're interested in how your view of God may have been affected by significant relationships early in life, there's something to do, and that's this. Consult or think about the mottos you heard in your home repeated day after day, week after week. Had somebody here in class while I was teaching, I think they were on Facebook, and uh, <clears throat> no, but they texted their kids during Sunday. Can you believe that? Somebody? I'm not going to give his initials, but it was Terry Chapman. But uh, <clears throat> he texted his kids in the middle of Sunday school. And that's a sin right there. And he asked them, what motto did you hear when you're growing up? And his kids are texting in church too. <clears throat> So we, we need to pray for this family. <clears throat> you want to hear what happened, Terry? Did, what, did they all of them text back the same thing? All Texas, 80% were all the same 80% all the same thing. Now, I'm not, we're not going to tell you what it is. <clears throat> but no. <clears throat> but they all remember something that was said over and over 
and over and over again. And, it, and he said, we're going we're gonna to talk to our kids about, are they repeating that? And, and is it a positive thing or is it a negative thing or is it something that helps us grow? I'm just telling you, those significant relationships early in life and mottos that you heard formed your view of reality and more than likely formed your view of God. If you heard stuff like, you made your bed, you're going to sleep in it, right? Yeah, okay. Or I heard the thing, do the thing you fear. Or you heard, uh, a God, uh, 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 God only helps those who help themselves. You know, those mottos. So that, that's it. And the other one, the other one is uh, how we got our brand is, real quickly, is through, un, un, that's, I don't know if it's a word, but it's uncritical reflection on life. We, we tend to put God in the gaps when things happen that are so disruptive, we can't figure them out. Why does someone die that young with cancer? Why does a person have, get killed in a car? Why, why does someone have this tragedy? So we can't figure it out. It's too hard to lean into. It's too difficult to say, well, um, uh, uh, you know, it, it's the way life is. This is, a, this is a, an interesting experience. And so say, well, God wanted to take them home. I, you know, I know people say that. But here's the question for you to answer. We're not going to answer today. To what degree is God in charge? To what degree is God in charge in the universe? I mean, I would say to you again, I've said this before. <clears throat> we can maybe unpack it later some other time. But I, I, believe, I don't believe God is in control. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive he's not in control of you. <laughs> right? I'm almost positive of that. Because if he was in control of you, you would do everything you're supposed to do always, right? Right? Any, any, anybody think he might, you know, he might not be in control of you? <laughs> yeah. He's not in control of you. Uh, he's not in control of other people. It, 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 he's not getting them to always do everything they ought to do that he would want them to do every time. He's in charge. He's in charge. He's determined the conditions of salvation. He's, con he's determined the conditions of human limitation. He's determined the, the capacity that humans have. As I said to my students, uh, I don't believe that God gave people free will just for free will. I think God gave people a measure of free will so that love would be possible. That, that's what it's about. But you have to answer that. About what, to what degree do you believe that God is in control or in charge and so, so we're, we're, we're suggest I'm suggesting that sometimes our view of God has gotten twisted up because somebody told us when some tragedy happened or some difficulty happened or God was doing something there. Now, I know Romans 8.28. It doesn't say that everything that happens to you is good. It says we know that God causes all things to work together for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You'd have to be not thinking to think that everything that happens is good. Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, I think one is in answer to that is asking the question about doesn't that that picture of Job. I would say this. Um, couple things. I, I think that the, the, the truth that Job, the book of Job is trying to teach. Now remember, the book of Job is in the wisdom literature. Psalms, poetic, 
literature, uh, wisdom literature. Um, whatever that means, like the devil is walking in heaven, this is a lot of symbolism here. So let's be careful. You know, the devil's walking in heaven, sits down, has a cup of coffee, you know. Kind of that idea. It's, 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 a, it's a very difficult thing in terms of that. But I, I, I would fall or come to the position that what the book of Job is trying to teach is that there is a good God in the universe. And that ultimately, because it's part of the wisdom literature, it's wise to trust him. Because you don't know what's going on. You don't know how everything is happening. He, Job doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. And even if he did know, would it help? That the ultimate wisdom in the wisdom literature is to trust God. That he will guide you and help you through it. So it, it, I'm just saying, this is, a, this is a perennial question that for all of us, whether we're facing cancer or whether we're facing uh, some other problem, is we have to come to, some, come to grips with what, to what degree do we believe God is in control? To what degree? Now, I want to say this. God has determined lots of things. He's got lots of things in control. But when the earth, when the world will end, the conditions of salvation, how he'll wrap this up, how he's going to make sure that his kingdom flourishes. He's in control of all that. that time. But you talk about human beings now, and you talk about what's going on, on the earth, there's an issue there that you just have to think through. So I'm just suggesting that how we think about God sometimes is because we've uncritically thought Everything that happens is somehow God's will. And that's an idea. So we'll, we'll go on. But So we looked at uh, some distorted brands of God. And I told you that uh, some of the distorted brands, one of them is that conscience can always be trusted. Can't. Because the conscience can be trained and malformed. The conscience can be trained and malformed. And it may be one of the great distortions. Part of the problem with distortions is there's enough truth to be dangerous. There's just enough truth to be dangerous. Now, I want to get to this because this idea of proposing more biblically informed brands, one, as we said, was a God is consistent with the person of Jesus Christ. All these passages right here in John 14 and in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets in the past, but in these last days, he's spoken to us, son, who's the exact icon or representation of the nature of God. So that any view of God that we have must go through the grid of Jesus Christ, okay? Any view we have of God, any view we have of God has to go through that grid. Now, he's, I said last week, he's complicated. Don't, don't think Jesus is just some Hallmark card. He's complicated, but you should do that. The second one, and we finished up on this one. The second one is God is consistent with a God who has your best interest at heart. A God who has your best interest at heart. Um, uh, that, that passage there in, Hebrew, or in Deuteronomy where it says, and I'll just refer you to it in, in Deuteronomy 5, 28, 29, 33, and 6, 1 to 3. Remember, some of you were here last week, what is that phrase that keeps recurring when he says, if you'll obey me and, and follow my commandments, what? That it will go well with you. That, that phrase in 5, 28, 29, and 6, 1 to 3. Over and over, God says through Moses, if you'll follow my commandments and obey me, it'll go well with you. Uh, the whole notion of, of God who has our best interest. Now, we're going to look at this because as we talked about that, uh, the idea of that it may go well. Look there. Go to Deuteronomy. Go to your table of contents. We'll look at that. just want you to see that in front of your face so God can help us do that. It's in the Old Testament, 168. 
chapter 5. That's where it picks up. And this is where Moses is reporting back what God had or what, what God had said to him to tell Israel. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 28. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of these people which they've spoken. They've done well in all that they've spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them. That's in 29. In 33, same thing. That it may be well with them. Chapter 6, verse 3. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do all the commandments, that it may be well with you. Now, this idea of obedience or the idea of following God is, is related to this idea that God says, I want things to go well with you. Now, we're going to look at that in more detail. But why would we think that if we do what God says, it'll go well with us? Think about that. Why would we think that if we do what he says, it'll go well with us? That's a question for extroverts. No. <laughs> He what? Okay, so what he says is ultimate reality. We've got a philosopher right here, <laughs> Jerry. Yeah. What he says is ultimate reality. Yeah, yes. Uh, he's, he, has, he has everything figured out. He knows everything. He's figured, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's God. You know, that kind of comes with a job description. He knows everything. He, he understands everything. He, he knows how reality works. So ultimate reality, our reality. Does that make sense that, that we would say, does, is God smarter than we are? I mean, does he know how life works? I mean, I, I think he's smarter than I am until what he asked me to do is something stupid <laughs> that I think, you know. Yeah, yes. Okay. If she, right. Yeah. If God is love, as she said, then God only wants what's for us what? The best. Right. You love someone, you want them to have the best. Yeah. I, I liken it to this, and I, maybe this is silly, but I, I remember uh, some years ago I had a little car wreck, and um, I, uh, for whatever reason, the air conditioner didn't work. And I may have told you this, but, you know, I'm an old guy, so I'm like Marty, I don't remember. <laughs> that I took it to this guy, the body shop, to get it fixed, and then he said, I said, well, we'll take it then to the dealer, get the air conditioner fixed. And he said, oh, I can fix it. And I said, okay. So I came back two days later, it wasn't fixed. And I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm having the guy send me the schematics on the electrical system. And I went, oh, brother, here we go. And he messes around with it. Finally, I just got a wrecker and took it to the Toyota dealer. And then I asked the service rider, how long would it take them to fix the air conditioner? He said, five minutes. <laughs> why is that? Yeah, why? They made the car. Or, I mean, that guy didn't actually make it at the factory. But they're the factory trained technicians and they know what works and what doesn't work. And so does God know how life is? I, I would hope it is at some point. But I really, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I think I went a long time in my life when I still wondered if God had my best interest at heart. I really did. I really wondered. Or was he just a big bully? Was he a big bully? So what does it mean that to go well? I think that is on here. No, that's not. All right. Come on, Cliff. You fake yourself up. Here we go. 
Here we go. All right. Put in your notes here. You see that? What does it mean to go well? Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that it means to go well. That God, you have to write this, that God, as we follow him, is with us in everything we go through. That God is with us in everything that we go through. Meg referred to that somewhat of the faithfulness of God. And if I follow his way and his will, that I have the confidence that he has said, I will never leave you or ever forsake. We're going to look at that here in a moment. But this idea that whatever we go through, God is with us. I would rather, instead of that, sometimes I say to God, I, I'll, I'll opt out of you with me if you'll just get me out of this. Anybody with me? You know, what do you want? Do you, Cliff, do you want me to go with you or just one out? I'd rather take out right now, okay? If you, if you give me the option, I'll take out. Now, what is that? That's the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Turn in your Bibles, go to your table of contents, find the book of Hebrews. I'm going to get back to this here in a minute, this picture. Hebrews, it's in the New Testament. Toward the back, 1148. Go to chapter uh, 13. What does it mean that it's going to go well with us? Does it mean we're going to get rich? Does it mean our 401ks are going to go great? Does it mean we're all going to be healthy? Does it mean we're never going to get sick? Or does it mean, God has said, I'll be with you whatever you go through. Notice here, uh, verse 5 of chapter 13. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You know, I, <laughs> this is a real applicable verse to me. You know, I, I didn't realize how important my retirement was going to be until I was about 60. <laughs> and I thought, you know, you should have been putting more money back. Uh, you know, I, we all sometimes worry about that kind of stuff. And the writer says here, you know, let, make sure you're free from the love of money. Not, not, you don't have, it's not that you can't have money, but the love of money. Being content. Why? Because I will never leave you or ever forsake you. Now, I, you know, I, I just want to talk to you here because it's interesting in the original language here. I'm going to translate this for you as best I can. Here it is. This I will never leave you. I will... Not not let up on you, be weak or idle. No, I will not not ever leave you behind. There are five no's in that passage. I will never leave you. No, I will never forsake you. It's not 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 in the original language. It, it's fascinating to look at. It, 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 so it, it translates, I will not not ever let up on you. That's the word that translates out uh, a, a desert. The, the, the idea of deserting here is letting up, of giving up, of quitting, of finishing. So I will not not let up on you, nor, or but not, is actually the word in Greek, but not, not not, I will not leave you behind. What do you think he means there? <laughs> what, do, what do you think he means there? Huh? He's what? Not going to what? Leave you. 
He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to let up on you. Now, the reason I have this picture is this. And I'll read a little bit here for you because it's uh, when I thought about, what does that mean? Faithfulness. Never given up. On March 8, 1935, and I may really mess up some words here. Okay, I worked through it, but my uh, Japanese is pretty uh, weak. <laughs> On March 8, 1935, Hachiko, a famous Japanese Akita dog, passed away. He's remembered for his remarkable faithfulness to his owner many years after his death. In 1924, Hidubaso Uneo, a professor in the agricultural department at the University of Tokyo, took in Hachako, or Haikacho, a golden brown Akita, as his pet. During his owner's life, Hachiko greeted him at the end of each day at the nearby Shibayu Station in Tokyo. The two of them continued their routine until May 1925, when uh, Professor Uneo did not return. The professor passed away due to a cerebral hemorrhage, never returning to the train station where Hakito was waiting. I've said it so many different ways. You probably think there are three different dogs here, but there's only one, okay? I know I've said it so many different There's This is only one dog, okay? So don't get confused here. So Hachiko was waiting each day for nine years. The faithful dog waited Uneo's return, appearing precisely when the train was due at the station. After a while, Hachiko started to attract attention. Other people began to notice. A newspaper article was written about the dog, and his touching story appeared to people showing up, bringing him food and treats, accompanying Hachiko while he waited. One of, his, one of the professor's students researched this breed and learned about the story of this particular dog. Out of curiosity, this student followed Hachiko back to this home where the former gardener of the professor who died was keeping the dog. More and more articles began to appear. Scientific publications appeared. Hachiko became a national sensation, impressing the people of Japan with his faith and loyalty. Then well-known Japanese artists rendered this sculpture of this dog. And after some time, his legendary faithfulness became a symbol of national loyalty in Japan. Hachiko died on March the 8th, 1935. His stuff and mounted remains are kept in the National Science Museum of Japan in Tokyo. A bronze likeness of him here is at the very train station stop where his master came every day. In 1987, he was the subject of a movie told in America here. And this area is permanently marked by bronze paw prints in the text. Here's another picture of him. When I read that or heard that some time ago and I thought, this is the symbol of faithfulness. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Listen, if a dog is capable of that, if a dog is capable of that kind of loyalty, why in the world do we worry when he says, if you'll do what I say, it will be well with you. Things will go well. And so one of the things we have here is to know that whatever we go through, God's faithful to be with us. Yeah, Meg, you were going to say something. Um, you saw the name of the movie. I've seen it and it is wonderful. 
Yeah, um, I wrote that down here. I think it's called a dog's tail. I, I can't remember. I can't. They called it what? Hitachi? Hat okay, Hitachi. Yeah, I knew there was a movie they made in 2009. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, we're, we're thinking about this idea that it go well with you. It isn't that God says that it'll go well with you, that you'll never get sick or you'll never have problems or you'll never have challenges. What do he say? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No, no, not. No, no. Five no's and that half a verse. The question is, do we believe that? You know, I've had this conversation with Becky before. Becky had cancer back in 2000. And I just said to her, I said, you know, as we get older, something's going to happen to you. <laughs> and me. <laughs> I'm always thinking. But, but the idea of, is it that we believe, if you will, that God will be with us if we trust him? A second thing here I would suggest, and I'm just going to move here for a second, is this. That, that, uh, that it will go well with me. That this is the ultimate thing. I think there are other things. Let me give you a couple. One is that my relationships work better when I follow God, when I follow what he says. My relationships go better. You know, Jesus teaches us to love our neighbor, to be sacrificial, to be caring. Do you think relationships go better when that happens? Or do you think relationships go better when we're self-centered, when we decide it's all going to be about us? So our relationships go better. It's what is good. I think uh, 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 following God's plan is, that, is, uh, is related to all of that. But let me tell you the good I think we can always count on. Go to your table of contents, find the book of Romans. 1070 in my Bible, it opens almost automatically. If you, if you want to press me to say, okay, Cliff, if you'll follow, what does it mean that if we do what God says we follow him, that it may be well with you, that it'll be good Here's the verse that we talk about often. And it's found in Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 that says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for what? Good. Good. So that's that it goes well with you. That, that all things work together for your good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's a word in verse 29, at least in the American Standard, and I believe it's in the ESV. And it's the word for. You see it there? Verse 29. Now, the word for, I've told you this before. The word for indicates a literary relationship here or a structural relationship. The word for de denotes now I'm about to provide evidence for what's been asserted. You know, the, I'll give you this example. Jesus loves me, this I know. What, what, what am I asserting? Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. How is it or why is it that I know that? For the Bible tells me so, right? So when the word for shows up, there's the indication that there's evidence now about to arrive. So what is the good that God is up to in your life? Verse 29. See it there? What does it say? For those whom he foreknew, what did he do? 
He predestined them to what? Become conformed to the image of his son. I want to ask you this. Is that good? Is it good that when we obey and follow the will of God, that what ultimately or what fundamentally, I'm not going to say ultimately, fundamentally begins to happen is that God begins to conform us more and more and more and more to the image of his son. One of these days, we're going to look back and say that was the ultimate good, wasn't it? One of these days at the end of our life when we say, what was the good that God accomplished in your life? What was the good that God accomplished in my life? It's that he conformed me, brought me more fully to the image of his son. I can tell you at my age right now, that's the most important thing I'm thinking about all the time in my life. How am I responding, relating, uh, acting in ways in which God can bring me into greater conformity to his son. I would say that's the good. That's the better that God is working on. Surely that he's with us in our problems. Surely that our relationships work better when we do that. But fundamentally, it is that he is making us, if you will, into the image of his son. What would that look like for you? Think about that. I just, you know, you don't have to answer it out loud. But what would that look like? What would that look like if God were to, if you were to say, you know what, I'm becoming more conformed to the image of his son? What words would come to your thoughts? What? How about humility? Would that be suggestive that you're becoming more conformed to the image of his son? I, I told someone the other day, I said, when I was 25 years old, I knew everything. <laughs> At say four years old now. <laughs> I hardly can think through to say, wait a minute, I need to think about this. D d d have you seen that? At least in my opinion, the closer I get to Jesus, the more humble I become. It's not the other way around. The, the more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize I don't know. The more I understand. In fact, I'd, this may disturb you, but you know, you can, you can get out of here in a minute. But as that conformity to Christ comes, I'm more aware of my need than I've ever been. Even more so than ever. So this being conformed to the image of his son who is faithful with us. Now, we don't have time. We're going to hit this. But look at this. So what does it mean to go well? I had that done, right? What does it mean to not go well? What does it mean to not go well? I uh, have a couple of thoughts here that I would uh, suggest to you, and we'll, we'll, we'll do them as fast as we can here. Whenever we don't do what he says, or we don't think God knows what he's talking about, um, I'd suggest to you before, it's not going to go well. Why? Because, again, he's the ultimate reality. He understands the ultimate matters of life. My theology, as I've told you before, about sin is not don't do it, you'll get in trouble, don't do it. You'll be in, you'll, God will be mad at you. My theology of sin and not doing what God says is just simply this. Don't touch the hot stove. Why would God not want you to get involved in that? Because you're going to get burnt. Why would God not want you to be involved in those kind of matters? Because it's going to hurt you. Now, I want to roll this out for you, and this will give you lots of fun to think about. That sin is not normal.
Frequent? Yes. Not normal. Um, I talked to a friend of mine as a doctor. We were discussing this one day because this idea that sin is normal and what ought to happen is completely contrary, I think, to what the scriptures teach. Uh, my doctor friend said it this way. It says, normal is what cells should do. Right? Meg, you know this, right? Abnormal is what cells can do. So the question for us always is, is sin normal? Is it going to do what life should do? Or whenever it's introduced, whenever it's introduced into something, it brings death, destruction, and disunity. I uh, talk to my students about this because this is really a hard thing for them to get a hold of because they've misappropriated the word. Because let me show you what. You see this all the time. I do too. They're always wrong. <laughs> you know what? See that, that weather map there? There's a word up there that they've confused. Is it ever the normal temperature around here? Is it? I don't remember the last time it was a normal temperature. You know why? That's the wrong word. Average. Average. They take 100 years of temperatures on this day and average them and say, ah, that's close. Listen, this is important because we have gotten the idea that sin is normal when it's average. It's what a lot of people do. It's what most people do. It's what most people default to. But to call it normal is to say that's the way it ought to be. That's what cells ought to do or should do. Instead of saying, no, you have the capacity and the ability to not do it. Why? Because you have a measure of freedom. This notion when God says, follow me that it may be well with you because he knows if you don't, it won't be well with you. Because sin is not normal. When you go to the doctor, you get blood tests or stuff like that. If you ever do such stuff like that, I gave up on that. What does he say? Or she, doctor, say, everything looks, what does that mean? No. Nope, it's not average. It's operating like it should. I want to put this into your brain a little bit. Is sin what helps us operate the way we should? Is sin what helps us operate the way we should? Or is it that sin op operates the way we can? We're capable of it. You bet. But I would challenge you to think that there is nothing normal about sin at all. It destroys everything it gets involved with. What do you think about that? This is not a common idea because we've taken average to mean normal. And I think in some sense, it, sometimes we're not careful, then we give ourselves a pass. Like, well, you know, 
It's just what everybody does. I know. I know it's what everybody does. But is that going to bring normalcy and life to you? I would challenge you to think about that. Because in my life, at least, the only thing that's brought destruction in my life and disintegration has been when I decided I was going to do it my way. Rick Warren said it funny. You can either do it my way or Yahweh. (laughs) Which is it? My way or Yahweh? When I do it my way, I end up paying a heavy price because I've touched the hot stove. Right? Why don't you think about this? If it's going to go well with me because I do follow, do what he says, it's not going to go well because God knows sin is an abnormalcy. That's what salvation is going to be. And when God wraps this whole thing up to bring it back to where he wants it. So just put that in your mind. So I, I just thought, what if you did this? And uh, what if this week you continue to put a number two somewhere that reminds you that God has your best interest at heart or adjust your thinking to confront that sin is not normal? It's not going to bring anything normal to the situation. Now, I put a number two on my hand here. I told Becky, I'm getting a tattoo. She laughed. She said, you know, they do need to use needles, right? I went, yeah, so far, this, this permanent ink's working great. But number two for me, number two for me reminds me, I'm, I'm looking at it every day. What is it? That God has my best interest at heart. I've got to get that down deep in my soul that God has my best interest and sin is like a rattlesnake. It won't bring anything normal to your life. So write a two on your hand or adjust your thinking to say, I've been believing a lie. It's frequent. It's often. It's current. It's the currency of our world, but it's abnormal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Uh, We've had a good day here today. Thank you for Meg and her testimony and what you continue to do, and we continue to lift her up. We pray that all of us would grow deeper in our understanding that you really are for us. You really want our best. And, oh, God, would you help us get our brains and hearts and thoughts around that and quit living as if you're trying to hurt us or trying to harm us or try to push us around. Please help us, Lord Jesus, this week to adjust our thinking and our understanding and our hearts to the truth that it would go well with us this week if we'll follow you. In Jesus' strong and mighty name, amen. Amen.